You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Good to be with you this morning. It was such a joy to be here and, and see Chuck installed. I have so much appreciation for Chuck. I've known him for years, and uh, so what a what, you're really privileged, whether you know it or not, to have him as an elder. And just spending some time with your pastors over the weekend, um, they love you, and that they care for you, and they they love Jesus, and you're blessed to have the elders and pastors that you have, and uh, want to encourage you with that. Um, it's been great to spend time with your church family. We had a training yesterday and uh, uh, just a, a warmth in your community that I've so appreciated. Uh, great hospitality and fellowship. And so um, thank you for, uh, for welcoming me uh, from, uh, from down, down south in Austin, Texas. And uh, my church is gathering this morning uh, around about the same time. And so hello from City Life Church. In Austin, Texas, I'd say howdy, but it's Austin, you know, so we're too cool to say howdy. Uh, but uh, it's good to be here. So um, this morning we are looking at the topic of the Holy Spirit. And it's funny, you know, on the Holy Spirit, Christians often divide. Uh, that Some divide out of fear of neglect of the Holy Spirit. Others divide over fear of abuse of the Holy Spirit. And I, I just wonder, should our relationship with the Holy Spirit be based on fear? Fear of neglect, fear of abuse. What would it look like to have a relationship that's not based on fear? Uh, to, to actually know the third person of the Trinity. As we think about that this morning, three ways to think about how to know the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at His presence, His power, and His prompts. How can we know the Holy Spirit? How can we enjoy Him as a person? We need to know His presence, experience His power, and heed His prompts. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank You for Your ministry to us already this morning. We thank You how You move through uh, lyrics and through prayers and through the gathered church as we gather around Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come now and you would speak powerfully through your word to us, that you would help us to address some of those fears that we may have regarding you. And I pray that uh, you would awaken um, great desire, great dependence, uh, great delight in the Holy Spirit. Spirit, come and and, and glorify yourself uh, among us as a full member of the Trinity, fully divine, holy is your name. And so we pray, uh, manifest yourself now as we think about you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When we think about uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit, I often think of 2 Corinthians chapter 13, where St. Paul emphasizes the presence of the Holy Spirit. He says this, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ... The love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now, we often think about the fellowship of Jesus, but here we've got 
um, uh, an exhortation to enjoy the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we think about the Holy Spirit, we often think of not fellowship, but gifts, don't we? And if we're honest, we kind of think of maybe three or four gifts. We think of tongues and prophecy and healing. Quickly, when we think about the Spirit, we move past fellowship to our view or concerns about a handful of His gifts. You know, there's a, there's a name for people that kind of focus on a person's gifts. It's called a fan. Fans, fans are attracted to the gifts of a celebrity. They're, they're great acting. They're great athletic performance. Uh, they don't know the celebrity. They fawn their gifts, but they don't know the celebrity, right? They don't fellowship with the celebrity. They just have opinions about their, about their performance. There's not an intimacy with that person, and yet they have opinions. You might even be a, a, a foe in opposition to them because of their gifts or what team they're on. But just because we know something about their gifts or we have an opinion about their gifting doesn't mean we know the person. Do you know the Holy Spirit? Are you enjoying fellowship with the Holy Spirit? See, often emphasizing the gifts over the giver of the gifts creates feuds, creates division. And when you have fans, fans need teams. And when you've got teams, you've got competition. And then feuding over his gifts, we miss the greatest gift, the Spirit of God himself. To fellowship with the Spirit, we need to know the Holy Spirit. So who is the Spirit? Well, according to a LifeWay survey, about 60% of evangelicals believe that the Holy Spirit is a force. It doesn't take rocket science to realize it's kind of hard to have a relationship with a force, right? You can't enjoy a force. You can't really know a force. It doesn't have a character or a personality. How do we have fellowship with a force? And even if you say, you know what, I'm in the 40%. I got that right. Often we still treat him as an impersonal force. A closer reading of Scripture would point us to the fact that Jesus, or the Spirit is in fact a person. Uh, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a person. Look at John 16. Jesus says, He, referring to the Spirit, will glorify me. For He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So there's a first person pronoun. right? Masculine personal pronoun. The Spirit is not an it. The Spirit is a He. He is a person to be known. And notice that He does in this text personal kind of things, right? Uh, That He will glorify God. He will take something, take His words, and He will declare, He will speak. The Spirit takes the truth. He declares the truth. He glorifies the Father. He... In chapter 16, verse 13, says he guides us into the truth. Psalm 139 tells us that he takes us by the hand and leads us. When you see a couple walking hand in hand, you think, man, what a great force. (laughs) No, what do you think? You think, what a sweet relationship. You think intimacy. You think love. 
The third person of the Trinity wants to take you by the hand and lead you. The Holy Spirit is a person. If he speaks like a person and talks like a person and acts like a person, he's a person. Right? He's a personality. He doesn't have a body, but he has, he has a personal quality. You know, we often talk about in our circles of having a personal relationship with Jesus. I wonder, do you have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? Are you enjoying His hand-holding grace, His loving presence, His wisdom, and His power? If this is true, that the Holy Spirit is a person then what would it look like to, to know him as a person? Let's kind of get more practical as we think about this. Well, think about how you know a, a friend, a really good friend, or a spouse, a husband or a wife. How do you know that person? Well, you first know them by, by their name, right? You, you, you find out who they are. You get their name. You begin to call them by their name. Maybe a first step would be to begin addressing the Holy Spirit in prayer, to, to call him by his name. To say, Spirit, help me today as I go to work. Spirit, help me to turn my back against temptation. Spirit, help me as I suffer. Take me by the hand and lead me. Help me to trust Jesus. But Holy Spirit, help me. Incidentally, he has another name. It's the helper. He loves to help his people. Do you need help this morning? God has given you the third person of the Trinity. He's descended into your life, into your heart. He dwells with you to help you at all times. So just begin by addressing the Holy Spirit by His name. Maybe a second way to think about developing a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit is to learn more about Him. To, to begin to read the Bible with a lens and, and, and go on an exploration of who is the Holy Spirit. Uh, look for what He does, how He speaks, what His character is. You know, as, as, a, as a couple begins to date, they begin to spend time together. They, they begin to appreciate and size up one another, right? Their, their, their personality, their interests, their hobbies. What are the interests of the Holy Spirit? Uh, what, what, what does He want to do? What is His character? How does He exist? Uh, what, what does his name represent? So I'd encourage you to, to keep an eye open for who is the Holy Spirit as you read the scriptures. And uh, as you begin to call him by name, as you begin to see his character fill out, I think you'll begin to see that he's someone that you can trust. That you can trust and enjoy the Holy Spirit. And I, I think, again, of, of Psalm 139, a very intimate psalm, uh, a psalm in which we hear that, that, you know, if I ascend to the heights of heaven, if I make my bed in Sheol, if I uh, dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, uh, there you will be with me. In other words, there is no direction you can go. There, there is no extent to which you can move and the Spirit not be with you if you're in Christ Jesus. That the spirit, there's not a, there's not a crack in you that you can fall through that he said, you know, I'm not, I'm not with you. I'm, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to walk away this time. No, he is always with us. The omnidirectional presence of the spirit, wherever we go, and he will take us by the hand, and he will lead us. A number of years ago, I had a surgery, 
And uh, as I woke up from the surgery, I felt like I'd been run over twice by 18-wheeler. I had a reaction to the uh, anesthesia. They had taken out an organ, and I started vomiting immediately. And uh, there was kind of some complications. Um, I, couldn't, I had incisions all in my abdominal area. I couldn't walk. I couldn't use the bathroom. I feel like I got a good look at 80. <laughs> you know, just like, I'm in this bed. You know, I, I, can't, I can do nothing for myself. People are feeding me, helping me. You know, I get... You don't want to know all the details, but um, I, I had never experienced so much physical inability in my life. And uh, I would kind of get out of bed and grab onto the IV pole and begin to shuffle around the nurse's station trying to kind of just walk, honestly. And um, it, this, this was like a, a Herculean feat to make it all the way around the, the nurse's station to do a lap or two. And my wife was there beside me, kind of just shuffling alongside. And then night would come. At night, my wife was asleep. At night, I was awake. And, 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 and as, as night crept in, I began to have dark thoughts. Am I going to walk properly again? You know, um, I felt so alone. Uh, I felt so, so isolated. And... Uh, I just got despairing thoughts. It would happen night after night. I was in the hospital. During the day, there were people people to comfort me. But at night, I, I, I just I felt like I was kind of losing my mind. I just I felt very despairing, uh, very downcast. And uh, one, one night, I, I woke up, and I remembered Psalm 139. And I remember that the Holy Spirit is with me wherever I go. And so I, I t- fumbled open my little app and kind of scrolled down. And I found this, this little, little phrase that was so helpful. When I awake, you are there. When I awake, you are there. As soon as the eyelid comes open, when the despairing thoughts come crushing in, I am there. When everyone else is sleeping, when your closest friend is nowhere to be seen, I am there. When it feels like the light won't break, when the suffering won't stop, when you're all alone, I am there. The Spirit is a comforter. And in that bed, I learned to trust just a little bit more the presence of the comforting Spirit of God whispering to me, I am there. It wasn't always this way. For decades, I ignored the Holy Spirit until I was in my mid-20s. I mean, I, I could have passed a test on the Holy Spirit. You told me, you know, who is he and what does he do? I could have gotten that all right. I had the theological information about the Holy Spirit, but I didn't have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. Until I fell on my knees one day and I realized I had neglected the Holy Spirit in my whole Christian life. And I just said, Lord, forgive me. <laughs> would, you, would you reintroduce me to the Holy Spirit? Would you begin to sweeten my soul and to dependence upon him? And he met me with forgiveness. And, and over the last two decades, I've been learning a little bit more each day about the ever-present Holy Spirit. He wants to take you by the hand. He wants to lead you. Will you call him by name? 
Will you learn his character? Will you trust and enjoy his presence? Will you enjoy fellowship with the Holy Spirit? We thought about the presence of the Spirit, and I was thinking about the power of the Spirit. You know that people say they think he's a force. He, he, he's, he's more than a force, but he's not less than a force. Right? He, he has power. He's a very powerful person. We read in Romans that he is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's pretty powerful. <laughs> right? So the Spirit is a spirit of power. In uh, Luke chapter 4, we're told that Jesus returned to Galilee to begin his ministry in, quote, the power of the Holy Spirit. He's good enough for Jesus. He's good enough for me. Jesus, the Son of God, depended on the power of the Spirit. Now, experience tells us that we need power. Right? You ever bump up against your own limitations? You feeling that this morning? Feeling like you're not enough for the circumstances in your life, for your job, for your friends, for your family? Yeah, experience tells us we're not powerful enough. We need a power outside of ourselves. When we're tempted to despair, to lust, to judge, to gossip, or we're just exhausted and lured by temptation, we sense our powerlessness. But the Spirit is a power. He is a presence. Galatians 5 tells us if we walk by the Spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. We won't fall prey to the temptations, but we'll enjoy His presence and victory over the flesh. Walking in the Spirit gives us power for what? Power to be noticed? No, power to be holy. The Holy Spirit is reproducing the holiness of God in us, right? And so as we walk in dependence on the power of the Spirit, we begin to reflect the character of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You say, well, you know, what's holiness? A lot of times we think about holiness is, 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 uh, it's, it's not really about seeing, you know, how moral we can be, how, how tidy we can be. It's not, Seeing about what we can get away with, you know, kind of what can we get away with and still kind of be a Christian, you know. Holiness is not about getting away with things, but getting close to things, getting close to God. Holiness is, is not a moral transaction, it is intimacy with God. It's not staying away from sin, it's staying close to Jesus. And the spirit of holiness that raised Jesus from the dead wants to bring us closer to Jesus. If you don't know Jesus this morning, perhaps the Holy Spirit is prompting you to consider that you need a power, you need a person in your life that's always there. That when you awake, He is there. Maybe you sense this morning that you need something more than your job, more than your friends, more than your family. That Holy Spirit is prompting you to look to Jesus, who died and rose again to forgive you for all your insufficiency, for all your moral failures, and to rescue you and to put you in fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Turn to Jesus this morning and know a friend who will always be with you. Now, as we think about this getting close to Jesus, this holiness, 
The problem is that we often rely on alternative power supplies. Not the power of the Spirit, but things like reason and experience and emotion. These kind of alternative power supplies to get through life or to face a temptation. And they're good things. Reason, experience, emotion. They're not negative. They're not inherently bad. But they're insufficient to be close to Jesus, to reflect his character and to navigate the difficulties of life. Let's think about the, the alternate power supply of reason. You know, in the West, we are, we are really uh, rational people. Like we, we love to reason things out. We love our books and our podcasts and our, you know, talk radio. We are, we are highly rational uh, people, we like to think. And because of this, we sometimes swap the Holy Spirit out for reason. This might happen when we're um, facing temptation. Let's say an attractive person walks by. And as this attractive person walks by, or maybe they pop up on your screen or in a news feed, you have a decision to make. Are you going to envy their looks? Or are you going to lust after their looks? Or are you going to just appreciate their beauty and move on? Right. Are we going to engage in envious comparison? Oh, I wish I looked like that. I wish I had hair. I wish I had a butt. You know? Or are we going to engage in degrading lust? How do you escape that? We all, we all know that's not, that's not a godly thing. That's not a holy thing. Uh, how do you escape that, that temptation to envious comparison or, or the sinful lust? Well, you think to yourself, you know, I know the Bible tells me love does not envy. You have your Bible verse. You're, you're rational, well-reasoned. Love does not envy. Love doesn't, doesn't envy what someone has and, and, and use them or compare yourself to them. Love appreciates other people, right? Love doesn't envy. Or maybe it's uh, the lust that you're struggling with. You think it may be First Timothy 2, too, that not to flee youthful lust, but pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace along with those who call on God from a pure heart. You, you have the Bible verse at hand. You have the theology ready. You might even be better than, than, than just thinking about Bible verses. You might even think about the gospel uh, in those Bible verses, that I don't need to envy this person, I can love them because I'm so wonderfully loved by God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't, I don't need to build my life on how I look uh, because of how this wonderful God looks at me. I have the beauty of Christ upon me. And so you, 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 know, you can, in the moment of temptation, pull out your Bible verse, get to the gospel, and then you go ahead and compare anyway. You go ahead and envy anyway. We go ahead and lust anyway. We, well, what happened? I mean, we had the Word of God living and active, right? We had the gospel understanding of the Word of God. And yet, in that moment, we remained powerless to be holy. What happens? I think often we just enter into an inner dialogue with our reason. We, we enter into an inner dialogue with our reason and we begin to reason through the, the Christian truths that we have learned. And in doing this, we, we try to beat temptation with biblical reasoning. But, but temptation is, isn't just reasoning. There's a power behind every temptation. 
You know, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil, there's power tempting us away from Jesus. Is there to overcome a power? We need another power. And the power of reason is inadequate. And so we click. We compare. And then we feel awful, not great, afterwards. Incidentally, uh, the, the promises of the alternative power never satisfy. They never make good. But God always makes good on His promises. And so I wonder, how might the Spirit figure into that moment of temptation? What would it look like to include the Holy Spirit? To experience His power? To recognize, this isn't just me spotting my idols and gospeling them, if you use that language here. It's not me just seeing a temptation and summoning the right Bible verse. Any kind of thought about holiness is not a result of the the noble inner me. Any desire to flee lust and envy is not because I'm a great Christian. Why would I even have those thoughts? Because of the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit talking to me. And and what, what if I, in the moment of temptation, decided to include the Holy Spirit and not just talk to my head and reason and say, yes, Holy Spirit, help me to find this distasteful and to find Jesus more precious, right? What if we included the Holy Spirit in our temptations? I mean, temptation could move to, to, to worship, to fellowship. Like in the moment of when you think you'd fall, you remember the third person of the Trinity is with me. There's not a crack I can fall through. His power that was with Jesus is with me. And he's talking to me. He's saying, don't do that. Look at Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit. In my experience is as I do this in fits and starts, there is greater power over temptation when it's not just me and my Bible verses or me and my gospel and idol, but it's me and the Holy Spirit in me, indwelling me, empowering me, redirecting me through the truth to a more satisfying person. Sometimes we, we uh, rely on the alternative power supply of experience. You know, maybe you've heard the mantra, spend your money on experiences, not on things, right? Like, I'm going to spend my money on experiences, not on things like those materialistic people. But it's just as consumeristic. It's just an experience, right? And uh, that's kind of the, the name of the economy, experience economy these days. It sounds like a pushback on materialism, but it's, it's just as consumeristic. And in, in an experience economy, we always want the next best experience. What's the... The, the, the next restaurant in Memphis that we can go to, you know. Uh, what was the best coffee shop down there? What's the best movie that just came out? Uh, what's the new, new book that I want to see, you know? What, what about that new band on Spotify? You know, we just kind of move from experience to experience to experience, looking for satisfaction, uh, looking for happiness. And it's not that food and music and movies are bad. But they're, they're, they're a lame power to get through life. And, and often we kind of fall prey to working, not just for the weekend, but working for an experience on the weekend. Just can't wait. I'm just checking out iTunes. I can't wait for that movie to come. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get popcorn. I'm going to curl up on the couch. And I'm going to get through the week with all the stuff in my work because I'm going to sit down on the couch and watch that movie. We want an experience. And so experience becomes our false savior. It becomes an alternative power, and then we watch the movie, and then we're just as, as miserable as we were earlier in the week, right? It's just an escape, and it's, it's an inadequate power uh, to get through life. And then we feel glum. So what do we do? Line up another movie. 
Next episode, line up another song. Look for another restaurant. Scroll our feed. Get a buzz, get a hit, get a dopamine burst. Experience after experience after experience. And we wonder why we're joyless. Because we're replacing the power and presence of the Holy Spirit with experiences. And just think about the implications, friends, of this for, for service and for suffering. If, what, if the power you're looking to to get through life is experiences, when, when you're called to serve someone, that's, not a, that's, that's probably not on your A-list, you know? When God calls you to suffer... It's probably, probably not going to be something that you're, you're really excited about. You're, you're, you're not, you, you, we are conditioning ourselves through the power of experience away from the Son of God. Who, the Son of Man, came to suffer and to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, the, the cruciform living. The, the cross is the center of the Christian life. I become less that you may become more. It makes us more like the character of Jesus. And if we're running on experience power, we're not going to find suffering and service something that we want to do. You think, say, my wife wants to get away for the weekend. You know? That means I have all three kids. If I'm running on experience power, I'm not going to be looking forward to that. Right? But if I'm running on the power of the Holy Spirit, I am glad to serve my wife. And I delight in my kids, and we enjoy being together. The Holy Spirit makes a difference in those moments of service and suffering. And it's often in suffering and service that our character is forged most, where we begin to come to grips face-to-face with the character and beauty and sufficiency of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit wants to use Suffering and service to make us more like Jesus. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can produce the character of Christ. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Thank God Jesus didn't opt for experience power, but for the Holy Spirit's power to suffer and to serve, that every single one of us would be here this morning. Think about what would happen in your church, in your missional community, in your family, if instead of being fans, you turned to fellowship, if you moved temptation to worship, if your power for holiness wasn't reason, biblical reason, wasn't experience, great experiences, but was fellowship and dependence upon the Holy Spirit. We thought about him as a person. We thought about his power. And now, briefly, let's think about his prompts, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We can, we can know the Holy Spirit because he, he prompts us. He kind of speaks to us, gives us impressions and, and senses and puts people in our heart and moves us to pray. The Holy Spirit is, is frequently moving in his people to prompt us to do certain things. Now, you may be a kind of person that's kind of suspicious of this. This idea of, you know, these subjective impressions of the Holy Spirit. And maybe, maybe it's something that you, you're interested in. Either way, I think Scripture recognizes it's subjective. Uh, look at Acts 15, 28. When the elders of Jerusalem 
wrote their letter as a counsel to the churches, uh, their conclusion was it, quote, seemed good to the Holy Spirit. It seemed good. They didn't say, this is 100% God's will. It, they recognized there's a degree of subjectivity when seeking the wisdom of God and the Holy Spirit for the church. Paul said a similar thing in 1 Corinthians 7.40. He says, um, he was talking about uh, widows being able to remarry. And he says, I think that I too have the Spirit of God. I think I have the Spirit of God. St. Paul. So there is a degree of subjectivity in, in hearing the Spirit's voice. But there are also many instances of clarity and confidence. Could I read a few to you? Uh, Acts 8.29, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. He said to he spoke to Philip, and Philip knew this was the Holy Spirit compelling him to go to this uh, Ethiopian. Uh, Acts 11.12, Peter is, uh, here's a knock on the door. He's asked to go visit a, a Gentile. He's a little nervous about it. And um, go to the house of Cornelius. And then he concludes... And the Spirit told me to go with them. The Spirit told... He didn't get a letter. You know, he he didn't get an email. He didn't get a voice. He just had a sense that the Spirit was speaking to him. In Acts 20, 23, Paul remarks, The Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Now, how did they hear? It was a subtle, a prompt, an inner voice of the indwelling Holy Spirit coaxing them. And we can't take any impression as divine. But notice in these three instances how the Holy Spirit was prompting them. What was he asking them to do? How was he coaxing them? He was coaxing them for ministry, right? To go share the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. To go suffer for Jesus in cities as you testify to the gospel. To risk uh, some social awkwardness. And as he goes, Peter goes to the house of Cornelius to share the gospel with him. See, the Spirit is continually prompting us to put others first. To share the gospel. If it's a ministry prompt... It's probably from the Holy Spirit. Not always, but it probably is. If you think to yourself, I should probably do the dishes tonight. That's not the noble inner you. That's the Holy Spirit. Right? If you're driving home and you think, I should probably buy my wife some flowers. That's not the old fleshly you. That's the Spirit-filled you. Can I get an amen from the ladies? Right? The Spirit prompts us to do all kinds of things. He is the very presence of God, awaking us to the goodness and holiness of God the Father, Son, and Himself, the Holy Spirit. What would it look like to listen to the prompting voice of the Holy Spirit in your life? How would it change, consider this, how would it change your approach to the missional community meeting? As you drive there and you've got all the kids and you just, you know, come in and you I hope I hear a good thing from somebody not, you know, what, what, what would the Holy, how would he change the way you approach that meeting? Maybe thinking how you could serve somebody. How you could look to pray on the spot for someone or give an encouraging word or make sure everything's cleaned up afterwards. 
Holy Spirit wants to reproduce the Son of Man in you and to bless your missional community. The Holy Spirit wants to, to prompt us to serve others and to adorn the, 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 the chief servant himself, Jesus, our suffering servant. Several years ago, I was on my kind of summer break before the fall started, and I was reading John 21 on my break, and it's that passage where um, Jesus tells Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and go wherever you want. But when you're old, people are going to stretch you out. They're going to dress you, and they're going to carry you where you do not want to go. As I read it, I sensed the Holy Spirit impressing upon me that and a season of intense suffering was coming. I tried to rationalize it away. I'm not Peter. I've never been crucified upside down, you know. And then months later, an elder tried to run me out of the church. He, he got a secret meetings with the elders and began to talk about me behind my back. Tried to make a case that I was disqualified and it became a, an intense time of suffering for me and my wife. The, the, the elder team kind of fell under his spell. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm less than perfect. I have my flaws, but we knew that I wasn't disqualified to be in the role that I was in. And so we just had to pray. And we had to, we had to wait. We had to cry out. And we needed that Psalm 139 spirit because everyone else had abandoned us. We needed... The one that says, when I awake, I am with you. And he was with us. But I wonder if I had been a little bit more attentive to that impression. If I had been a a little wiser through this whole season of suffering. I wonder if I had been a little bit more prepared to lead my family through that suffering, to care for my wife. The Holy Spirit does prompt us. And he does lead us like he led Paul into suffering to produce the image of Christ in us. It was a humbling time for me and it was a good time for me. But the greatest thing, I think, through that season was in our kind of helplessness, in our kind of just crying out to God to work for his church, that we got to see the divine warrior come in and fight for his church when we couldn't do anything. When we couldn't defend ourselves, we were, we were under the gun, so to speak. And then we saw God fight for our church. It reminded me of this little phrase in one of Tolkien's books about these warriors. They sang as they slew, for the joy of battle was upon them. And we, 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 we saw the divine warrior come in and fight, and the, the fog cleared, and the light broke. And the elders saw, these people are praying, these people are yelling. These people are trusting the truth. These people are gospeling. It it was just remarkable to see as the Holy Spirit had brought us into prayer and dependence on God for the Spirit, the Father, and the Son to fight for His church. The board repented. The wolf ran. And the church was pruned. And as we were pruned, a a season of growth came after that, a season of fruitfulness that, that I could have never strategized for my church through rational power. I could have never created a revival experience to produce this fruitfulness and this awareness of the Holy Spirit in our church. But through suffering and dependence and prayer, God fought for our church. The Holy Spirit is prompting us in difficult ways and in ordinary ways. 
to reflect the character and image of Jesus? What would it look like to interrupt that inner dialogue with reason? To kind of say no to the serial experiences and begin to fellowship with the presence and person of the Holy Spirit. Friends, the enemy of the church is scared to death of a church that is dependent upon the person of the Holy Spirit. He is quaking in his boots with a church that would pray and that rely on the power and the presence and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit who is with us always. There's no, no one in here doesn't have the Holy Spirit who's in Christ. You're filled with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the tree. What would it look like for us to actually depend upon him each day? When we face temptation, when we enter suffering, when we're driving a missional community, what would it do to the church to be alive to the Holy Spirit? May it be said of us as it was said of the Thessalonians that the gospel came not only in word, but also in power and in the spirit and in full conviction. Friends, the spirit is reaching out this morning. Will you take him by the hand? Will you heed his voice? Will you delight in his character? And will you allow him to lead you to Christ and to lead you to others? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your patience with us in this life. We confess that we are often depending on other powers than your Holy Spirit. We also thank you that you, in your patience and in your grace, have given us your Son, Jesus Christ, who has died for our failures to depend on your Spirit and forgiven us, has shown us how to depend on your Spirit. And so we thank you, Jesus, for securing for us forgiveness for our sins, for our self-reliance, for our distractedness from the person of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you ascended to heaven, that you're there right now pleading our innocence because you bore our judgment. And we thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit to us. You said it was better that you would go, that you would send your spirit to be with us. And so we pray, oh God, help us to hear your spirit. Help us to fellowship with your spirit. We pray, make us alive to what you want to do in our families, in our communities, in this city. In Jesus' name, amen.